0: I dare say she knows where she's been. (laughs) She knows it, and she's got a story to tell, like so many of us in this room. We know where we come from. We know where we have been. Many of those times, they were hard struggles, were they not? Oh, there were times where at night we cried alone. There were times we cried with family members, and sometimes we cried with friends, but we still made it through the night. Joy still came in the morning. Of course, even as a community, as we continue building on all the accomplishments that we have made as an LGBTQA community, we know we are not yet where we wanna be, right? But thank God we're not where we used to be, right? Before we had shame. And now we've got pride. Before we had pain. And now we've got a safe place where everyone can reside. Before we had sadness and tears. And now we've got a little bit more joy in our step, right? And so we will continue, continue, continue leaning on God to get us through all the struggles that we continually face. But thank God we can be our authentic selves in this place. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we are thankful that we are your children. We affirm your presence in this place and in our hearts. We now open up our hearts and our lives, our minds. We open ourselves up wide. May you enter and fill the spaces of our being, and may we hear what your spirit is saying today. We will be our authentic self today and every day. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen. Good morning and welcome to Wake Up Miami. Today, women who live together. Does society make it tougher? We'll find out when we talk to four lesbians. Today on Wake Up Miami. You're mad, aren't you? (laughs) Rosen Island, every man I know is watching this show this live show this live show about lesbian lovers of Miami. every man you know is watching hey we could beat the prices right we're back in 30 seconds ladies listen i'm not gonna do this blanche if you leave they'll fire me good (laughs) my mother is here my teacher is here. Good. Maybe if we don't say anything, we're not on camera that much. I mean, we can't let Rose lose her job. We're back. Let's meet our panelists. Dorothy, a lesbian. <laughs> Blanche, another lesbian. The image consultants. How come they're not lesbians? We don't believe in labels. Oh, I see. We have a question from the audience. This is directed to Dorothy's lover. Do people treat you differently because you're a lesbian? Well, most people don't know. Really? I would have guessed right off <laughs> next question to Dorothy what kind of pain and embarrassment has this lifestyle caused your mother I really don't know but I'll ask her tomorrow when I visit her at the home <laughs> No more questions. How many image consultants do we have in the room this morning, huh? Yes, be proud, be proud. If you, how many of you remember that episode from the seventh season of The Golden Girls? Oh, look, there, oh, a lot of you. Bunch of image consultants, I tell you. In this episode, Rose asked her roommates, Dorothy and Blanche, to appear on a TV show at the studio where she works now rose thinks the theme is about women who sleep together under the same roof but she misunderstands the theme is actually about lesbian lovers of miami (laughs) but there's one problem dorothy and blanche aren't lesbians they're not lesbians and actually dorothy has a man in the audience who she's trying to impress she's had a crush on him since high school her mother is in the audience and then poor blanche has called every number in her black book, and that's no small book, not at all. (laughs) Without any sense of shame, she tells all of her male lovers to tune in to the program so they can all see her. And then on live TV, they're outed and everyone thinks they are lesbians. Now, you know, or maybe you don't, but the girls have no issue with gays or lesbians the girls have an issue with being misrepresented you see that is not who they authentically are they are not lesbians and they are not image consultants (laughs) they are friends and roommates but for the cameras and the TV audience they will be portrayed as something that is not true to them Reverend Troy Perry the founder of Metropolitan Community Churches, held the very first service in 1968 in Los Angeles, California. And do you know the title of his sermon at that first service? Anyone? Extra credit. Anyone? (laughs) Be true to you. That was his first sermon to members of the LGBT community. Be your authentic self is what he preached. 44 years ago and it's still a message that is being heard around the world today authenticity what does it mean for you and i to be in our authentic selves as we relationship with god with ourselves and also with one another you see we live in a world where we hide behind veils and masks behind foundation makeup and Sephora concealer we hide behind the image our parents have for us and we even hide behind the image our religion requires of us we live in a world where some of us hide behind our uniforms and others green dollars and still there are many others in this world who hide behind their clergy collars And so for the sake of the TV cameras and social obligations, we try to portray this fierce, firm, and formidable facade, even at the cost of misrepresentation. People of God, we live in a world where being authentic isn't exactly on everyone's radar. For many of us, being authentic, that is, being true to you, being your real self, is hard to do in a society that does not value the authentic you, and when we do not feel valued, we will do anything we can to earn value in society's eyes. Am I right? Every which way, we greedily hustle a dollar or two, not to barely make it, but rather to Ponzi scheme our way through to the top tier, the 1% of society. Some of us will lie, others will cheat, and others steal to earn value. In the eyes of society we will dress the way society pressures us to dress careful not to cross heterocentric gender norms and styles women wear womanly wardrobes while men ascribe to a butcher attire (laughs) whatever we need to do to look attractive in society's eyes even even to the point of bleaching our skin on different seen and unseen parts of our bodies, we will do that. Whatever we need to do, I hear that amen. Whatever we need to do to earn value and attraction, even at the cost of a healthy self- self-image, we will do. I will be honest in telling you that my whole life. I've had to deal with the fact that I have a regal nose. <laughs> now, I didn't realize I had a regal nose until it was pointed out to me in elementary school. Now, you know those kids on the playground are ruthless at times. They would call me all sorts of names, first in Spanish, Narison, then Pinocchio, Birdbeak, Schnazasaurus Rex, I tell you, having a regal nose on the playground was hard. But it wasn't just those kids. It was also the big kids in seminary. They were also brutal. We had one fundraising event, not like drag bingo, but something similar to that. So I decided to dress up in drag for this event. And since it was my first time, I wanted to go all out. So I had several people working on me. It takes a lot to put this together, of course. I had people on my toes, on my hands, people doing my hair. And when it was all done, I tell you, I was fierce. I was liking it. I was enjoying it. It was so much fun. I thought no one would be able to recognize me at all. And so I went to these events, just strutting my stuff, going out there, and I could hear the people talking around me. Who is she? She's so beautiful. Who is that Aztec princess? Who is that? And then that one person walked in. You know, there's always one person, right? Always that one person walks in and he sees me from afar and he doesn't know who I am. And then he gets closer and then he sees my profile. And then he blurts out to everyone, oh, that's just Miguel with her 11 inches of nose. She ain't nobody. I was mortified. All of a sudden, here I thought I had everything worked out, that no one would recognize me, and yet even those kids in seminary had brutal things to say. I started wearing glasses way back in middle school, not just because I hated context, because I did, but also to gain value and attraction from others, hiding the regality of my nose. But of course, today I've come to love. The regality of my nose. (laughs) I like to believe that it accentuates my authentic self. Or as a friend of mine says, uh, yes, it's regal. It shows the queen in you, as some people say. (laughs) But not everyone easily comes to the point of loving themselves, even loving one's own perceived imperfections. And so in order to feel valued, many of us will do anything and everything, even neglecting our own well-being to the point of hating ourselves, anything we can do to earn value in society's eyes. And when we do not feel valued, we will even read Scripture in a certain biased way, the way society and the worldwide church wants us to read it, and we don't even know it. Today, our reading is from First and Second Samuel. It's the story of David and Jonathan. Now, in most of our previous churches, we were taught that David and Jonathan were the best of friends. They were the model for manly relationships and fraternal love between heterosexual friends. That's what they told us. Now, I'll admit, when I first heard a rumor in college that David and Jonathan could have been an item, I was a little skeptical. I mean, I wanted to believe it, but I really didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to believe it because the majority of my professors in school did not believe it. The majority of my friends did not believe it. The majority of scholars, conservative and liberal, still could not bring themselves to accept the idea that David and Jonathan might have had some type of romance between them. You see, I was trying to earn value in their eyes so I could be seriously considered as a scholar. So I could get published in their mainstream journals. If they couldn't read Jonathan and David as an item, then neither could I. But what I failed to notice was that my professors, the majority of scholars, were not only heterosexual, but they were vehemently homophobic. For them, they could not even entertain the possibility of some type of relationship between David and Jonathan. And of course, they have serious and various reasons for explaining away this relationship. Some say it's just brotherly love, like even many of us in this room might say. Others say it's a political discourse, that the love language that we read in the text is a technique that many Near Eastern authors use to describe political alliances. There may be some truth to this, given the fact that Jonathan's father Saul is the king and David is a rising star in the king's army. And so maybe in order to try to keep the peace, the writer might be using love language to describe this political relationship. That's possible, but still so problematic. Love language is one thing, but David and Jonathan sitting in a tree K-I-S-S-I-N-G. That's a whole nother level. Nowhere else in the literature do you find these political alliances. Do you find people kissing like David and Jonathan are? If we're going to be authentic ourselves, sometimes we have to let the text be authentic itself. We have to get real and allow the text to speak from its own self. You can read it in your bulletins, excerpts, The soul of Jonathan's was knitted with the soul of David. Jonathan loved him more than his own soul. Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him more than his own soul. Oh, and here's the kicker. Jonathan exceedingly delighted himself in David. And then in the morning when Jonathan went out to where David was hiding, they kissed each other. They wept with each other. David weeping all the more. And then later, when David finds out that Jonathan died in battle, he says, Greatly, beloved, were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful. Passing the love of women. Really, folks? (laughs) Really? Do you really want to argue with the text? Well, what are you saying, Reverend Michael? Are you saying that King David is an actual queen in this text? What I'm saying is, if she ain't, then I ain't. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> now, I realize, and you realize this too, all of our first-time visitors, that we're a bit different than most churches. <laughs> but if you do what David and Jonathan did, if you and someone of the same gender started making out right here in the pews during church, if you began to exceedingly delight in one another, It would probably be a little inappropriate and an usher might come up and say get a room (laughs) now if you try that same thing at the Baptist Church down the road do you think they're gonna say oh that's just the way good buddies do it that's all I dare you go try it and see what happens you will not hear the words get a room you will hear words that are similar to the words that Saul tells his son, Jonathan, words like get out, you child of a rebellious perversion. That's a literal translation. You're ashamed to your mother. As long as you keep kissing and loving that same gender person, you will not inherit the kingdom. You are going to hell. If David walks like one, if he talks like one, and if he kisses one, then he must be one, right? But we joke, we laugh, we ponder, but the truth is the point is not to prove that David was gay. We're being very careful of of not projecting our own contemporary models of sexuality onto the ancient world. But I tell you, I do not need to prove that David had leanings towards someone of the same gender because you see the text already does that for me. I don't have to add that. Later on in scripture, we see that David has sexual relations with women, lots of them. But nowhere does he say that he loved them like he loved Jonathan. You see, the point is not to prove that David and Jonathan were lovers. No, the point is that there are far too many of us in the world and even in this room who will not even entertain the possibility of them being lovers. Why Because mainstream society does not value such a perspective on the regal King David. And so we allow inauthentic interpretations of scripture to guide us. Because we are seeking to earn the value and approval of others. Instead of recognizing our own sacred value. By not being true to ourselves, we consequently diminish our value and to a much greater extent than Blanche and Dorothy from the Golden Girls. We allow the authenticity of our being to be misrepresented. I tell you, for far too long, LGBT folks, Latinos, Blacks, Asians, differently abled folks, immigrants, women, we have all, all marginalized folks in general, we have not been able to see ourselves in scripture Because we've been reading the Bible with the lenses of other people. Because we cannot see ourselves in scripture, there's a consequence. We begin to feel less than. Because we believe society doesn't value our own authentic perspective and being, we begin to love ourselves less. And as we love ourselves less and less, we begin to hold ourselves back. We hold our Feelings back. We hold our perspectives back. We hold our thoughts back. We even hold our emotions back It plays out when we read scripture, but it also plays out in your relationships This may hit home with some of you. I don't know But instead of telling your partner how you really feel about them communicating with their ex You put on this facade like nothing bothers you. You're not intimidated not one bit Email, call them, I don't care. But on the inside, on the inside, it's eating you up. Eating you up so much, you begin to hate yourself. You begin to build this little narrative in your head. You begin to hear things like, oh, I'm not as pretty as her ex. Maybe that's why she still communicates with her. Oh, she has a better friendship with her than she does with me. Is that what it is? She must hate me then. She's probably still sleeping with her. That's what it is. We build this narrative, all because we don't want to express how we feel on the inside. Meanwhile, we are hating ourselves and the whole time thinking we are not good enough. You never mention how you really feel until that one day, right? Just like there's that one person, there's always that one day where something just sets you off. Somebody says that name in the room, and next thing you know, it's a big blowout, it's a fight, and it's just not you and your partner. It's you and your partner and the friends around them. It's you and your partner and the families around them. It's you and your partner and your families in church on a Sunday morning. (laughs) It gets serious, it gets serious. Being true to you means loving yourself so much that you can be honest, not just with yourself, But with your loved ones, with how you feel, it allows you to bring your whole self forward. Now, when you are not being true to you, you begin to mask the divine beauty within you. And we all do it. We mask our beauty with makeup, with clothes, with sex, with lies and pretenses. Now, be sure to hear I'm not saying that you shouldn't wear makeup. I'm not saying you shouldn't get plastic surgery. I'm not saying you need to stop purchasing expensive wardrobes. And I'm definitely not saying that adults shouldn't have sex. If those things help portray, if they accentuate the real you and they express who you are and they do not misrepresent you, by all means, do it. But if those things that you do, if you do all those things simply to fill the void of love that you lack towards yourself, then those things will contribute nothing towards your spiritual health, towards your physical health, and towards your emotional well-being. I tell you, you can conceal all you want, but concealers wear off. I know this. (laughs) When our leather brothers and sisters are able to are able to be their authentic selves and even come to church in their leather, they are bringing their whole self forward. When our congregants who come from Catholic and Anglo-Catholic backgrounds, when they proudly cross themselves, they are bringing their true self forward. When our Spanish-speaking Latino friends receive communion in their native tongue, When LGBTQ people begin to read the Bible with their own eyes instead of someone else's. When we all fully embrace the divine spark inside each and every one of us. As Robert Holden reminds us, when you begin to authentically believe the truth about yourself, no matter how beautiful it may be, then you are being true to you. Remember, Jesus was a poor peasant who lived out his hopeful humanity so fully, touching lives. He lived out his humanity so fully that people began to see his divinity. May that be your goal, to live your authentic life, your truest self every day of your life, so that people can not only see the good humanity that you have, but also the spark of divinity that is always within you. Be blessed this day.